the taggings, the writings that we did with spray paint and markers was more or less a voice for the voiceless. My name is Louise Newsom, entrepreneur and host of The Makers, where we tell the stories of how everyday creatives turned their passion into a sustainable business. On this episode, you'll meet Eddie, or Mr. Ed161, as that was his first tag he used back in the late 1960s, a combination of his nickname and the street he lived on in the Bronx, where he became one of the early writers and formed one of the first group of writers, taggers, in New York City called the Ebony Dukes. I believe this movement to be an integral part of our art, social, and political history. It's not just graffiti, writing or drawing scribbled, scratched, or sprayed illicitly on a wall in a public space, but it's about people that need to be heard and seen. We're sitting in the studio. So this is where people come, like the general public, to kind of experiment and well, actually, they come to learn something about graffiti writing, right, and graffiti art in general, based around aerosol painting, which is the use of, of spray paint. Graffiti appeared in Philadelphia in the 60s, and then it came to New York, what, in the early 70s? I can look back at that and see that, yes, possibly so, but you had graffiti taggings in New York City during the the early 70s, even back into the 50s and 40s. But the explosion of it is probably what most people are familiar with. Because arguably, people have been writing on walls since the beginning of time. Of course. It's nothing new. What people are probably more aware of or familiar with is the aerosol or the spray paint that came onto the scene in the late 60s, early 70s here in New York and South Philly. And the word tagging, tags, Mm -hmm. That was something formed then. Well, you had this whole vernacular or, or, or um, terminology that was brought up through that whole phenomenon that appeared in the late 60s, early 70s with the graffiti writing. Tagging is the activity of using a marking apparatus, specifically new on the scene during that um, movement I was referring to in the late 60s, early 70s, was felt tip ink markers. And of the most popular, uh, obvious thing was the aerosol spray paint. Now, that tagging is illegal. Yeah, graffiti writing is illegal in and of itself without permission. Well, you've got commissioned wall art. Yeah, commissioned um, graffiti art, and you have permission graffiti art and street art as, as well, because street art and graffiti art is two different things. Where did the word graffiti come from? Well, it's an Italian word that refers to scratching or marking a surface. When it came to New York, I mean, the most famous image I have is of all of the subways, the trains. The public transportation systems here in New York and in South Philly became a focus of graffiti writings and tagging. You have to understand that the main motivation of the taggers and graffiti writers which were kids between the ages of eight and 16. And their drive or motivation in doing that was the frequency of their tag or their writings around the city just made them popular, mostly with their peers. But in general, they had this mystique that, that that would attach to them because of their tags, like a phantom type thing. You would see a mark 
uh, on a certain place and you know and then you would see it in another place and then you would see it in another place and that that familiarity with that marking would give that person a certain persona in your mind so you grew up in staten island or well I, I wasn't forced to care for about five years in staten island okay, okay? and then I, when i returned to my uh, biological mother she was living in the fort apache section at the south bronx and this is what introduced me to a lot of um the graffiti markings on walls and such. How old were you? I was about 10 years old when I first re reunited with my mother. Most probably a little shocking, right? It was. The whole, well, the whole neighborhood, in, in essence, was uh, a little uh, offsetting as far as what I was used to or what I became used to in Staten Island. So you formed a group called Ebony Dukes. That's later on, yes. So what, so yeah. so between the age of ten mm -hmm. and how old were you, were you when you formed Ebony Dukes? I was about uh, thirteen years old. So not that long, really, and yeah. you were still pretty much a kid. Mm -hmm, yes. So between ten and thirteen, were you tagging? Yes. So in the the school, the public school system that I went into when I reached the South Bronx, there were uh, kids in my class and in, in the school that knew me as Edward or Ed. And during that time, in the um, mid-60s, they had this um, sitcom that was uh, a popular sitcom that was on the television called Mr. Ed. What, what kind of put, put a damper on it is that I would get ribbed in school a lot with it. Because, you know, my name being Edward or Ed or Eddie, you know, the kids would use that as something to make jokes with. The kids, are, the kids are wicked. Right. Well, right. well, <laughs> well it, was, it just was something that was there. I kind of turned it around by adopting that, the fact that they're calling me Mr. Ed. So I actually, you know, took that alias on. I'm Mr. Ed then. And so in, in the art classes, or the arts and craft classes that we had back then, felt tip markers. Felt tip markers was available. I was always a person that had a natural ability to sketch things. And I would use my, my informal art skills to draw things and and to bring, you know, some attention to myself, so to speak. I would go in the, to the, um, the boys' restroom and I would sketch things like on the stalls. <laughs> Apparently it came unknown that I was the one that was doing that. I thought I was going to get into trouble with it. But I actually got a lot of popularity with it. It seemed to have been something that my peers, the kids, took a liking to. That I could draw that stuff and I adopted that Mr. Ed alias that they had given me. So that's my first experience with, you know, actual graffiti. Now, later on now, in the neighborhood, right, with the um, prevalence of spray paint, by the late 60s and early 70s, you know, kids in, in here in New York and South Philly had it. The practical things were using spray paint as a, a, a so-called graffiti or, or art tool is that it covers a large space very quickly. It, it was revealed to, that it, you can write big with it. You can do big things, big murals. Then later on, um, my school changed. I had to actually take public transportation to school. That's when I started to notice the more structured tags where people are, are familiar with, with graffiti, writing, um, the tags with the names, with the numbers with them. The numbers representing the area where the tagger is from usually. My tag was staff 161, eventually, the more popular tag. I had three tags. So the 161 reference 
the, the part of 161st Street in the Bronx would intersect at my street, which was Hewitt Place in the Bronx. Hmm. And most of the taggers, the graffiti writers, would have a, a number associated with the area, the early ones. I'm talking about the first group of, uh, uh, first generation of graffiti taggers in New York, the pioneer era in the late 60s, early 70s. So when did you form Ebony Duke? You said you were 13. Here I am living in a neighborhood that is a, a lot of um, organizations, so to speak, mostly street gangs, but you had some uh, revolutionary type groups or organizations like the Black Panther Party, the Young Lords, the, the FLAN. So it was either you're gonna be, belong to a gang or you're gonna do lesser things to put you at risk. At one point, I had belonged to a street gang myself. I was belonging to the Ghetto Brothers in my neighborhood. They were more or less leaning towards the um, radical type group. They were more, more like community activist type of group, even though they were a street gang. The thing with the Ghetto Brothers is that they were against graffiti writing, right? And now, uh, eventually, uh, I had, had to come to grips with how am I belonging to this group that's against graffiti writing. And I'm, I'm one of the major graffiti writers in the neighborhood now. I had a few other major graffiti writers in my, in my neighborhood, including my younger brother, Adam, uh, he, who became AJ161. And then I had my next door neighbor, Danny, who became Dynamite161 or Dr. Soul. Then up the street from us on the same block was Dub, who became Topaz1. Uh, a little further up the street, we had three other fellas. One was HS575, which was probably his, his um, building number, and King Cool 156, right? And uh, Super Slick 156. So all of us being either in street gangs or associated with them in some way on the same street, right? But also graffiti writers, I thought that we should unify, not as gang members or street gang members, right, but more or less as graffiti writers. So I sought out a name for us and it became the Ebony Dukes GC, the Ebony Dukes Graffiti Crew. The Makers is brought to you by Trade and Prosper. Here we share the stories of individuals and businesses that make our communities. We believe in those who are committed to doing well by doing good, using their hands, minds and hearts to create a better place for us all and believe that a little sweat and a lot of sharing turns a community into a populace of prosperity. Trade and Prosper is a forum where those like-minded individuals meet to trade ideas, information, goods and services, as well as build long-lasting relationships that enable them to expand their reach locally and also globally. Follow us on social media and join our Facebook group to connect with our growing community of creative entrepreneurs. So what was Ebony Dukes' mission? You got to understand the whole nature and, and the risk factor involved in graffiti, right? Neighborhoods were segregated. When I say segregated, I was talking about segregated as far as race, right? And also um, as far as gang membership as well. You couldn't go into other neighborhoods uh, and be safe if you was of the wrong persuasion. What made you safer if you was uh, with someone else? But if you was like walking alone, even if you was with someone else, 
and so forth. If the other um, group from that neighborhood was larger than you, you were still at risk. But the point of the matter was there was more um, safety in, in numbers. Also, graffiti writing produces some, some types of risk. Number one, it's illegal. So most of the time, if you're doing something uh, large with graffiti writing, it would have to be someplace where you're not seen or someone's looking out for you. Being part of a, a crew, you had lookouts. Being part of a crew, you had safety in numbers. And then you had the camaraderie in being um, unified as a group, a graffiti group. How large did the group become? Well, with the original, the ones, the names that I had mentioned earlier, was the original pioneer members of the Ebony Duke or Ted Incorporated in the early 70s. See, part of tagging now, being part of the crew, is that you had to write the crew name, either the Ebony Dukes or Ted Inc. So that was something that got around more than the average person because you had now seven people now writing the Ebony Dukes or Ted Incorporated. That got around the city more than, say, the average individual by himself. So did you consider yourself an artist then? Most of the things that I used to draw a sketch with spray paint and markers early on with my tag was to bring attention to the tag specifically. I didn't really think that, oh, I'm being an artist. I'm thinking that I am embellishing my tag. I am bringing more attention to my tag because as time went, the frequency of the tags or kids tagging increased. How does your individual tag stand out on that wall. Your tag stood out like a Stay High 149 tag or another uh, um, a well-known um, tag of the time, Super Cool 223. Those were tags that stood out to me. Those tags, they were so unique in their style, their handwriting, and, and the things that they used to draw along with the tag besides just the lettering that those tags stood out to me in style. That's how I started to like use drawing with the tags to bring attention to the tags. So I didn't really think myself as an artist back then. I, I just thought I could, I could draw certain things. Do you see yourself as an artist now? To a certain degree, yes, I do. I right. do. A couple of decades later from when this all began, right? Yes. What happened is that it increased to the point that it became an international phenomenon now. During the 80s, certain publications and documentaries introduced the rest of the world to it. What, what really got it, got it going as far as uh, notable was social media in the 90s. So like in the 90s, I was contacted by people because there was a few books put out like Subway Art and Graffiti Kings and such like that. And one uh, very notable, one earliest one was Faith of Graffiti by uh, Jean Nahr and um, Norman Mailer. And they had documented photographically through uh, some of my early pieces. So I was in a lot of books and stuff I started to notice. You know, I didn't notice on my own. People told me, you know, you're in this book and you're in that book and you're in, in a couple of more books. And you're considered a, a pioneer in that. And I said, oh, yeah. You got to understand, the time that I was doing it, it was more or less demonized. It's starting to be recognized as art 
by some of them, including the mainstream art world. Graffiti writing comes under the definition of hip hop culture. Um, MCing and DJing, break dancing, and graffiti writing basically manifested in my, my neighborhood around this, and I'm talking about the, the practice of them, manifested in my neighborhood around the same time. So internationally, it's considered, or graffiti writing is considered one of the first elements or expressions of hip hop culture. Hmm. This is all street culture, urban street culture that manifested itself. The most popular, of course, or the most commercially, uh, monetarily successful one, of course, is, is rap music, right? Which is the, the most um, successful music of the time. In the 90s, the mainstream art world took notice. Have you, in this time, been asked to do a commission piece? Yeah, I have quite a bit of art in this particular area. I have about maybe three or four murals in this area. And then I have some in the Bronx and in, and in Queens, I get diff different boroughs. So when did you decide to actually, and I hate using this word because it sounds like I'm putting it down, but, but in a sense of commercializing it, meaning creating your e-commerce site, painting on canvas so you can actually sell it to somebody, they can have it hanging in their home. Okay. When did you decide to do well, that? Well, um, it was like in the uh, late 90s, early 2000s, there was people that would contact me with, which I never e even heard a line like this before. I'd like you to, um, to draw me something and I'll pay you for it. <laughs> do me, a, uh, just do your tag and I'll pay you for it. I was like really taken back with that. You know, why would you pay for my tag? You know, <laughs> uh, but unbeknownst to me, it had grew to that level. Um, in the 80s, like I said, the rest of the world was um, educated towards what it was and the whole phenomenon. But there was also organizations like, well, there was one called UGA, United Graffiti Artists, which was uh, run by a guy named Hugo Martinez. What um, Hugo Martinez did, he gathered um, uh, um, quite a few youths and he introduced them to art, mainstream art. He redefined it for them. Instead of you guys just tagging trains and stuff, do you know you guys are doing art? And he opened up a venue for them through um, a stage production with them doing a backdrop for um, the Joffrey Ballet Company. Here you had um, graffiti artists who were previously known as uh, graffiti vandals, right, on stage painting backdrops for Broadway productions. Were you involved in anything like that? I was not. <laughs> I was. Uh, during that period in my life, right, and even to a certain degree now, I was anti-establishment. Coming from the environment that I was in, I didn't think it was beneficial or, or even safe for guys and girls who were committing the crime of graffiti writing to make themselves known and to um, cooperate with outsiders. I understand it now, right? And also, that same initial um, contact with UGA introduced those um, youths, graffiti writers, to the mainstream art market. So the first canvases of graffiti writing 
was sold during that period. And are you doing that somewhat now? I've done some exhibits. I've done some exhibits on my Instagram page. It's uh, uh, connected to a website, which is MrEbonyDukes.com. I have art on display that, you, that can be purchased, yeah. You get asked to speak a lot, right? Um, yeah, I've been, to, I've been to Europe to speak. I've done something. I did a, a panel discussion recently at the Bronx Museum of Art. Um, also, just a couple of days ago, did uh, another speaking engagement at the um, Universal um, Museum of Hip Hop. And yeah. also somebody's doing a documentary on you. Yes, I got um, quite a few, a couple of things going on. A good friend of mine, Nathan Vane, he's, he's promoting a documentary that should be coming out, not uh, say, it will be for the years out. And I have another one that was filmed in Denmark, right, that should be released sometime before the end of the spring, you know, hopefully. But we'll see what happens, right? Those things are works in progress. Well, I think, I mean, it's taken a long time for it to be really recognized and understood. And I think it's only going to become more. I don't think it's going to go away. I think you're going to be asked more to do, to go and speak well, and to... Yeah, well, absolutely. <laughs> I, would, I would assume that. It's just in retrospect, you know, it's kind of very interesting, you might say, to see how it kind of evolved into what it is now. Uh, as opposed to what it was uh, seen as back then, it was more or less de a demonized activity. And again, I understood that because it's, there's no way that the powers that be is going to allow people to vandalize public and private property legitly. Uh, what will happen and what has happened is that it has been legitimized through what people refer to as street art. Ironically, graffiti taggers, right, the ones that are doing the base thing, which is the bombing. The bombing is, is the illegal activity of writing and marking on private and, uh, and, and uh, public property without permission have a problem with um, people who get permission to do it. <laughs> that's, that's really, that, that really takes me for a spin because initially... One of the motivations, right, or inspirations for, for the whole activity was recognition. You had disenfranchised youth, specifically in that neighborhood where I came up in the, um, the Fort Apache section of the South Bronx. In fact, not even youth. You had the whole community that was more or less alienated and disenfranchised for various economic and social and political reasons. And the taggings, the writings that we did with spray paint and markers was more or less a voice for the voiceless. Thank you for joining me this week on The Makers, brought to you by Trade and Prosper. If you enjoy our show, please follow us and leave a review on iTunes. To be part of our growing community of creative entrepreneurs, join the Trade and Prosper group on Facebook. Tune in next week for a conversation with Patricia Wind. Patricia and her partner saw the gap and created a valuable and much needed platform to connect wholesale buyers with farmers in and around New York State.